Today's episode brought to you by Test Prep MVP. That is a specific initiative of what's called Exercise MVP. Test Prep MVP is a way of using exercise to stimulate an incredibly powerful neurological state so that attention and retention during a study session improves. This is actually an initiative of the Good Athlete Project based on tons of research and proven out countless times. The last time we ran ACT study prep sessions in Chicago, we saw a 3.3 point increase on ACT math exams. Just in case you're not familiar, the ACT is out of 36. We're moving scores 3.3 points on average. Those are outcomes that just can't be matched. Now, to learn more about how it is, how it works, and what we do, reach out to us either at Exercise MVP on social media or at Good Athlete Project, and of course, GoodAthleteProject.com. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. What's up, everybody? I hope today's audio is not too wild. We are, as I hope you are, practicing social distancing in all the ways the CDC, as well as the local and national government are recommending. I truly, truly hope that you are all healthy, safe, and practicing good habits during this time. We've advised everyone we know to stay strong, healthy, and connected as much as humanly possible. With that said, I'm really excited to bring you today's podcast. We have Chris Duffin on the show today, and I'm telling you, if you don't know him, if you're not in the strength world, then you need to Google him, and you can find him any number of ways. You could look up Kabuki Strength or any of the variety of professional endeavors that he's been really successful at. You could look up his book, which we talk about in the podcast. He just wrote a memoir that needs, that I already ordered it. It, it, Hearing his stories, you'll recognize pretty quickly that the thing needs to be read. But he's most known for his otherworldly feats of strength. The guy's a Guinness World Record holder in the sumo deadlift. Um, He has most recently been in the news for, listen closely to this, for squatting 1,000 pounds, hold on, for reps. So the guy did 1,000 pounds three times. It is, like, this is, I'm telling you, this is, I would say it's superhuman, but a human just did it. It is, uh, so yeah, the the guy's driven in a way that is just unique. And once you hear his story today, I think you'll recognize that that it may have taken the unique upbringing and life that Chris has had to ultimately achieve these unique and special outcomes that Chris continues to build for himself. It it really is inspiring. And I think inspiring is the operative word for the day. Chris has said many times over that, that that is one of the big outcomes he aims for in his life. He really has nothing to prove on the professional front, on the athletic front. He's inspiring other people to do great things. Everything he does these days when it comes to lifting is wrapped into some sort of social good, some sort of cause. Uh, and, and go follow him on Instagram. You'll see him sort of wearing his heart on his sleeve and telling the world what he's about. So anyway, I was so impressed, I think, because this big, muscled up, tattooed, world record strength athlete is also one of the more thoughtful, intelligent, and generous folks that we've been around in a, in, in a long time, really. I'm inspired. Alex and I both left really just just pumped to go take on the day after listening to today's story uh, and, and the podcast on the whole with our new friend, Chris Duffin. So yeah, I'm co-founder of uh, Kabuki Strength and we're based in Portland, Oregon. We've got 
a gym that's really not, uh, it's more of our testing center for R&D for met both methodology as well as equipment. So we're a principle-based uh, strength education, coaching and equipment company. And what that means is we have a philosophy around what we believe in movement and what we believe in loading principles. Hmm. And from that, the output of that is both our education, our coaching. So we do virtual coaching with people around the world. We do uh, seminars around the world and we do private uh, education as well for a lot of professional and collegiate sport teams. We work hmm. with about 50 different professional uh, sports teams, 75% of MLB. Um, so we're getting bigger into NFL and NBA more recently. Um, yeah. But we're in every professional uh, professional sport in North America. We work with about 600 different colleges, not about over. It's um, amazing. And then our equipment is like an output of what we see as gaps in the industry. So as a manufacturer, we're not looking for, hey, that's selling well, we can make that. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that we make actually takes a lot of education because a lot of times nobody's seen it before and they don't understand Actually, Alex was just asking me, what's the duffalo bar do? Right. Uh, they don't know what, why it is and what it's supposed to be delivering. And so there's a lot of education with our stuff because it's, it's new. It's people haven't thought down these directions before. Mm -hmm. And then, <clears throat> so I've also co-founded Build Fast Formula, which is a, a supplement company. So we're doing, you know, full disclosure labels, uh, non, you know, no proprietary blends, mm -hmm. uh, manufactured in an SF, uh, you know, facil uh, facilities, but just formulations and things that I found successful through the years. And we're bringing some of those to market. And then uh, also co-founded Barefoot Athletics, which is a, uh, in, in my, in a philosophy around movement, uh, the ability to manage and control spinal position is number one priority, has the largest global impact. The second one is the foot. Foot has the second largest global impact. We're talking pretty much most any sport. This is not mm -hmm. powerlifting or strength like as a whole. And so there's a lot of gaps in that, that interface between the human and the ground. And that's where yeah. we're focused at. So it's uh, socks, shoes, ankle support, things of that nature around foot health foot strength and mm -hmm. then uh also uh i do a lot of speaking and writing well i don't necessarily do a lot of writing but i've i've written a book it's a bestseller in five different categories uh psychology is uh <laughs> and uh self-improvement uh being some of those categories so it's it's yeah. not a lifting book uh, i think there's only like three pages uh around lifting in the entire book um, but uh, a really big piece so that's that's that. what I'm doing today. So essentially I've got four different kind of businesses and it's all about, if you didn't figure that out They're they're all in this realm, even the book uh, around strength. Yeah. And the, the main businesses are around strength training. Um, the, you know, the discussions, the book, all that is around more of the mental, emotional uh, aspects of strength and arguably more important in my opinion, but you need all these things together. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why I work on, on those. That's, um, you, and then I, I do a little lifting. Uh, yeah. so, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, so I was a competitive power lifter for, uh, almost two decades 
and then retired from that 2016 uh, to so that I could express myself, my, 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 my strength, my work capacity, my recovery abilities and things like that in a different manner by, by formulating these different challenges. And then also using those as a platform to raise money and awareness around uh, charities that I believe in. So we do a lot of work with like homeless shelters, which we were just helping build some uh, uh, shelters a couple months ago, uh, homes in a, uh, an area for, for some homeless veterans. Uh, but we do the most recent uh, grand goals that I did was raising money, and we still are uh, for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, do a lot of work for like uh, you know struggling uh, single mothers or abuse victims, and so those are those are areas that uh, that we play pretty frequently in, and that's that's where I'm at today. Uh, you know, father, husband, all that good stuff as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a fairly comprehensive overview, so thank you. But there's uh, there's so much nuance that I want to dig into. First of all, you just sold another copy of the book. Uh, I just I picked one up um, today, so I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, awesome! But you mentioned um, you mentioned I'm familiar with a little bit of your philosophy and stuff like that. So I'm I'm looking forward to digging in more in the book. The um, when you talk about, I think it's so impressive to hear someone like you who's done the things that you've done physically from a professional standpoint, et cetera, to talk about the value of um, psychology and emotion and, and connection and the human side of things. Because it, like you say, one of the things that we, one of the almost absolute certainties that we will jump, that, that we'll encounter when we do our consulting with coaches is, is the breaking down of the stigma that that is necessary. That if your toolbox is full of only hammers, there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I think it's really encouraging to hear you say that. And just so people, so just so there's no freaking confusion about the, the, the physical caliber of the person we're talking about, can you just, can you tell us before we get into all the real good psychology, uh, your most recent uh, accomplishment? So yeah, uh, my most recent accomplishment is actually something I've been working on for four years. Uh, I, heard, yeah. I did a few uh, other feats of strength in the midst of it. But I, I set out four years ago to be the first person, and oh well, only person that's ever done both squatting and deadlifting of a thousand pounds for repetitions. So the first one I did three years ago, I deadlifted a thousand and one pounds for almost three reps. I didn't lock out the third one. Uh, it makes me at the time Thor has actually just done recently done a thousand pounds for two reps. So we're the only people time, that have yeah. ever deadlifted a thousand pounds for plus for reps. That is just, I don't mean to cut you off, but that's an absurd thing to say out loud. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. So that one still stands as the Guinness world record for the most weight ever sumo deadlifted. Wow. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, just, uh, a week ago. Yeah. A week ago, Saturday. Yeah. I squatted a thousand pounds for three reps. And so, uh, again, individually, either one's a feat. There's a lot of one, one-offs in there. Uh, that makes me the oldest, by the way, person to ever squat a thousand pounds. I, I bulked up. I got a little fat for the squat because you get a little belly to bounce yeah. off of. Any, any little bit that helps because when you're like, I'm a big, <laughs> you know, I'm 5'11", 280 pounds. That's yeah. big by a lot of standards. But sure. in the world that we're talking about, people moving a thousand plus pounds, these people are 380 to 440 pounds. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little guy. 
Right. <laughs> I'm like one of the littlest guys that's ever done these things and the only one that's done. Both. That's amazing. Just yeah. so you know, um, I use that excuse all the time whenever, especially in the winter. I'm always in squat shape, building a belly for squats in the winter, but I digress. <laughs> it's, it, it's true though. I, I hope people do recognize that. that. That's an enormous part of it. If you're 400 pounds, a uh, thousand, just based on body weight ratio, uh, certainly not to take anything away from those guys, but, but to be 280 and do it is. Fantastic. Yeah. And a big thing there is, is the actual training that I have to do to get there because I'm lighter. So I end up having to do a lot more weight, a lot more volume, yeah. a lot more frequently. So my training, what I did for either one of those, nobody's ever come close to matching what I, what I did, uh, to, to get there. And that's just because that's what Tell I had to do. Tell us more about that. That's, that's so, really yeah. So like I, for the last three months, I've been averaging between six to nine repetitions per, uh, per workout over 900 pounds a week. So that volume is just nutty. And most of that's my average load, like my average load on my last workout was 982 pounds. Oh, I had a total of six repetitions at that. Um, so most of those workouts I was talking about that, those repetitions. Yeah. And, I, and I'm actually not including my warmups, which oftentimes is 900, low 900s. We're talking six to nine repetitions, mostly at 950 plus pounds. Yeah. So yeah, no one is trained with that level of frequency, volume. And that's where I said that's where that's what I love about it because it really pushes the rehab, the preparation, the all these other things that that's the wheelhouse of like my specialty, right? So mm -hmm. that's what we do at Kabuki. Uh and so it really demonstrates that theory in practice and what it can do. Because there's honestly no way it is not just being strong and walking into a gym and doing it like you can't recover from that every week mm -hmm. if you don't have everything nailed down to a t and billy to deal with things as they come up because yeah there's times like i walk out of a workout and i'm basically not able to walk for mm -hmm. a couple days like following and like pain that most people would think their career's over with or they're not going to lift for another year or they're in the hospital getting pain meds and it's like i have to turn that around fix the issues get out of pain get my movement cleaned up in a couple days and then mm -hmm. do it all again and so that it's just Amazing. i can't describe it it's nutty but it's like that's what we do now i'm pushing it to the extremes i never would want an athlete actually doing that because the risk is pretty high Mm -hmm. Like the risk is really high when you're trying to do something that nobody's ever done before. Yeah. By but, definition. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's no playbook. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's figure it out. Um, and then, yeah, when I, when I was chasing the deadlift, I was deadlifting twice a week. One was, uh, off the floor. The other was uh, a slight deficit. Mm -hmm. And I was averaging at that time, 12 to 15 repetitions per workout. And that's two workouts a week, one deficit, one, one, not. And the deficits were in the final stages, that was 850 to 900 pounds, and off the floor was 900 to 950 pounds at those type of volumes. It's amazing, man. And I couldn't maintain the same when I got to the squatting because, you know, deadlifting can be the concentric only. Mm -hmm. um, you can take out a lot of the eccentric loading and the recovery uh, mm -hmm. from that. The squatting, I was also getting older, and I'm turning 43 in a couple of days. Happy birthday. Uh, 
Thank you. And so, you know, there's a few compounding factors there that I ended up not being able, I thought I would be able to squat more than once a week mm -hmm. in a tighter, uh, you know, maybe a six day or a five day uh, routine. And every time we tried to do that, you know, the data was very clear that it wasn't working. We ended up having to back it. So there's a lot of factors, age, type of lift, all those sorts of things. But uh, yeah. that's, that's the training that went into it. It was, people ask like, what was it like to recover from, you know, how'd you feel after that squat? How beat up were you? Fucking easy. Yeah. Use my language. Yeah. But that was like three reps with one that I had to work for versus three or four sets. Right. Of, <laughs> and the fact I got to actually recover for a good week and a half, two weeks going into it is another issue. So, totally. uh, you know, so like day of like, yeah, that was easy. Yeah. There was like, I felt fine. I walked away like, Hey, feel great. Well, that's uh, because, when you know the process is right, right? It, yeah. you, people talk about that in all sorts of sports too. John but, but Wooden. People want to focus on that event was so incredible hard. I'm like, yeah. you know, the, the, what I did to get there For four years was freaking so incredibly hard and nutty. Right. <laughs> that's true, man. It's true. You know, you know the name John Wooden, a UCLA basketball coach, 10 national champions, championships, uh, absolute legend. He, he said the same kind of thing. Like game day, he'd practically just sit up in the stands because the work's done. It works done. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's amazing. I want to dig into this a little bit more because uh, what we do oftentimes is we've got this framework that we put together that we filter all sorts of people through. I can share it with you um, maybe off the air or whatever we decide to do. But at the bedrock of that framework, uh, we, we, the base level, we call it bedrock, eat, move, sleep. And that, that is essentially uh, adhering, come, continually coming back to this idea, exactly what you said, that uh, growth is a process of stress and recover. And, and if either one of those things is, if that balance shifts too far in one direction or the other, growth will be limited. Um, you know, not enough stress, not enough recovery, same idea. So I wonder if I can Absolutely. kind of walk us up the hierarchy here and, and with the, the pinnacle being a thousand reps for three, what are some of the, and you don't have to give us your entire process, but uh, some of the cornerstone recovery components for you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I, uh, you mentioned eat in there. That's huge. I'm not going to go into that because like, it's pretty simple, like mm -hmm. eat enough to recover, make sure you're getting adequate uh, protein uh, sources, whole protein sources that are going to be able to get you there. I, I kind of don't jump into that because I expect like if you're training at some level of capacity, you should have that nailed and not need it. And I'm not a dietitian, sure. um, but yeah, it, it's eat enough protein, make sure you got enough carbs to fuel your workouts and enough fats to keep the hormones running. And, uh, you know, eat well is definitely important sleep. So for me, I start with priorities. Number one being sleep. Mm -hmm. And that has such a huge role on everything else. Actually, it impacts my eating as well. Like if I don't I sleep well, my my appetite's down. I mess up meals because I got to get a nap in, uh, maybe at the wrong time. And so sleep is is the number one foundation. Love it. Uh, one thing that I kind of missed, and I, I I didn't think a lot about until this last uh, month when I had a conversation with my doc friend, Dr. Craig Liebenson, uh, is laughter. Is, say it again. Laughter. Tell Laughing. Me more. Yeah. So it's amazing. More of just like stay like that mental aspect of being like, and I think that's an important thing for people to recognize right now in the moment that we're in with a lot of stress for everybody in the world right now yeah. is 
you start you gotta stay take a step away and keep that good positive outlook and so uh, I, I watch comedies all the time uh and uh just try to you know get as much into that other you know state and and health and recovery uh that you can and uh, there's nothing like a good laugh now uh, I, I just throw that in there that's not my second priority necessarily sure. i always usually talk about movement and movement being the largest healer movement mm -hmm. being the largest tool for recovery and so this is my opinion where like the tools of like soft tissue and things like that come in they in themselves are only doing temporary work but if i sit there and walk around all week or multiple days not moving well with you know one of my hips restricted or any of that i'm losing the opportunity to become re recovering as best i should i want to alleviate as many of these compensatory patterns as possible and just once you do that, you know, doing a walk in the, you know, at the grocery store down the aisles is going to help with recovery. Uh, you know, you're just daily movement. But if you've got issues going on, you're not actually able to get out of this. You're not able to use movement. And that's where people miss it. And they wait till the very last minute till they get to the gym and they go, oh, I got to roll out this quad because it's too tight. Yeah. But you just missed a huge opportunity all week for your recovery. And so it's really pulling that stuff up and making sure that we're moving well, moving frequently. And the, the soft tissue work that I do is all movement-based stuff. So we do a lot of pin and stretch uh, type work with our tools, but they're ingrained with uh, movement. So instead of having somebody else move you, we're moving through a range of motion uh, while we're doing that. That's the stretch, I guess, part of the pin and stretch, but uh, pin and tack. Anyway. Um, active release therapy, sure. it's got a million different names. So, um, but, uh, that's, that's a critical, uh, component, I, be I believe. So the, the next active piece, release therapy, can you give us a little bit more on that? Is that, is that like, uh, like almost like the flossing or what, what does that look like? Yeah. So, uh, I encourage people to go to our website and check out our full line of, uh, ISATM tools, Love so it. instrument assisted, uh, soft tissue. And we've got full educational uh, uh, videos working through the entire body on these. And so this is really a lot of what we do is kind of opposite of foam rolling. So in foam rolling, you're still active and in control. And what we want to do is be get in more of a relaxed state as possible, mm -hmm. uh, apply the pressure and the tissue. And really it's it, not to overcomplicate it. Like, uh, you know, one end of a muscle belly, the center of the muscle belly, and then the other end of the muscle belly. And so three points, and then from there, move it through a range of motion. So like mm -hmm. your shoulder, hey, if I go into the pec, I'm just gonna move my shoulder around through its range, right? Mm -hmm. I maybe do some pressing, I may do some pulling. Totally. Um, it's not that complicated, okay? Find those points, spend some time in there. Mm -hmm. And usually, you know, like three good movements, in each of those positions through a full range of motion is going to net you. Uh, and what, you know, what we're doing there is telling the body it's safe to, to play in those areas. So hmm. um, if you, if you move well as a whole in your workout, you should not have to do this type of stuff. Hmm. So now that said that requires perfection and we're not always there. 
So right. there's going to Fair be enough. times for that. The other is if my workout uh, is uh, not allowing me, if fatigue is accumulating much faster than my recovery is, again, so your workout, your training, your training program is also going to be a big driver of it. Is it good? Is it a good training program? And, and am, I, am I moving well? Right. I like to use the phrase squatting doesn't make your hips tight. Squatting yeah. like shit makes your hips tight. 100%. So, so it's exactly right. So I'm not a, like, you don't have to like, I'm not telling, I'm the only, probably the only guy that sells instrument assisted soft tissues tools and tells you, I don't want you to use them. Right. Like, like at the end of the day, uh, but it can be a tool to to enhance that, and then also um, you can get back into that uh, that uh, parasympathetic uh, tone or, or sympathetic tone a lot faster as well. Yep. So the sooner we get there, same thing. Like I'll do an Epsom salt bath before bed. Yeah, mm -hmm. magnesium sulfate helps with relaxation and and recovery, but it's such a minor degree. It doesn't mm -hmm. do a lot. But yeah, what it does is helps me relax and get ready to go to bed. Right. Oh, now that's going to be huge as well. So, things to think about. so, so now we've got sleep, we've got movement, and now comes blood flow. Mm. So, to the ability to be able to really turn stuff over, reach those tissues, get them to nutrients, clear away things that uh, that that need to be cleared away, and so again, moving well. Great. Like I said, going for a walk, things like that are, are, are good. Doing some light work uh, in the gym. Good. Everything that I do all falls into these categories. And there's a lot of different tools and I'm doing a lot of stuff every day. Um, you so, are definitely. Uh, again, a lot of corrective exercises. I, I use it more skill based than corrective, like making sure I've got positioning. It, and that's all based on like what areas I'm lacking or most uh, I need to focus on most for me in doing this was really maintaining that pelvis and rib cage position uh, relationship to each other. Sure, sure. And then the ability to keep those muscles. So the, the, the diaphragm, the obliques, QL, all of that was really challenging to stay on top of for recovery. Mm -hmm. They'd want to stay in this hypertonic situation. So as, uh, as mm -hmm. well, if I had any loss of position, those would be fired up and we'd have to work right. on that. But again, it's right. all falling back into these move well, get the, right, you know, get those things back to their normal state so that they're not pulling and pulling you into a position where we're not in the proper muscle length tension relationship. Um, totally. That's where they're going to operate best. That's where they're going to recover the best. So if you're walking around with your ribcage, you know, in a, you know, with too much yep. anterior pelvic tilt or your ribcage up, guess what? All those muscles on the back side, on the posterior chain, are all shortened. Everything mm -hmm. on the front side is all lengthened. And you know what happens when you go try to do a curl in full, you know, fully extended? You're not as strong as where you're right in that middle ground mm -hmm. of that good muscle length tension relationship and the joints being in those great positions and not at end range. You know, it's so amazing. Simple I concepts, but actually yeah. executing them takes a lot of work. There's no doubt, and and uh, I'll tell you this is a bit of a personal story, but yours is yours is uh, highlighting the exact idea. Sometimes it takes you don't you almost don't recognize just how important they are until you are under stress and until you've got yeah. a bunch of weight on your back, and you, then these well, these are exaggerated, right? So that's that's one of the the reasons I actually do these sorts of things or have been been doing them. Uh, mm -hmm. 
one of them, the primary one is actually the inspirational piece to be able to show people that, totally. you know, you overcoming and goal setting, what you can actually accomplish, like that you can, that you can do things that people think are not doable. Right. Like it's just a matter of really, you know, setting that, you know, so it's second piece is for platform, for charities and raising awareness. The third piece is actually me being in the trenches, feeling and seeing, like I learned so much in these short windows of time where there's no way out. Like I've got to figure this out. Mm -hmm. It's either that or give up on my goal and just say, Hey, I'm done. I can't pull this off. But I can learn in a day what might take me six months of testing yeah. to know that works. I'm ready to squat tomorrow because of what I did yesterday, right now. And so you learn so fast yeah. because you have to. You're on that tenuous edge of survival. And those little minor tweaks, yeah, that worked. That one didn't. Let's create yeah. something new because it also puts you in this creativity of like, I have to figure it out. I'm feeling this. What if I combine like these two concepts and put them together? And so, so for me, it's, we preach a lot on this stuff, but being in the moment and learning one, it validates it. And the other is I learn so much in the process. Yeah. Yeah. I I'm with you. That feedback is undeniable. As long as your eyes are open and you're being honest with yourself, that's another, just to um, shine a light on all the good people we have working for us. We not only ask people to, to write, but we ask people to compete in something yeah. for that very same reason. Yes. Yeah. You, you, you got to do know. as well. Yeah. I, I'm a big, I'm a, I'm a very highly <laughs> educated person, but I, I also think you got to be a doer. You can't just sit behind a desk and, and read research and read theory. Yeah. And until you've actually done it, you don't really know it. hundred percent. Or you don't know it or, or there, there might be a small gap or you might just from a scientific perspective, all of a sudden dig into a nuance that wasn't being explored from, from the academy. And I'll tell you, that's a huge part of what we try to do at the project, just to give you more insight into sort of us. Uh, we try to have a very strong foot in the academy, you know, hold on, on research in all its forms, mostly psychology, to be fair, human development psychology. Uh, but then also, we, without application, that means nothing. So how can we digest this sort of stuff? How can we bring the conversation together so that, that both sides are, are speaking? Uh, it's a mutually enhancing idea, obviously. But then, you know, of course, then uh, the recipients of this knowledge, the kids, then they benefit most if we can get this exactly. thing right. Yeah. So I love it. Well, you brought me into uh, another level. The next level up from our framework is uh, language communication and relationships. We say once you get the bedrock down, now we, we, we're slowly sort of escalating. There are a couple things that I'm interested in, and one of them is uh, self-talk. So we, you're talking about things that are freaking hard, okay? And, and, and it is not natural. It's like when a little kid touches a pan and it's hot, you learn to not touch the pan anymore. But in certain situations, you've gotta, uh, you have to be able to frame pain in a different way understand oh, what, yeah. is, what yep. is healthy pain and what is uh you know and maybe not or whatever uh but of course it's, it's going to be your own inner dialogue that moves you on to the next day right so what does that look like in your mind and in your process yeah so i've got this uh uh kabuki mask on the wall behind me Love here. It. so and, and what we say is uh, if you look at a lot of our marketing stuff it says uh, get your squat face on and what that means is you know, we can give you the tools, we can give you the methodology, 
But at the end of the day, you're the only one that can provide that third factor, which is putting your game day face on mm-hmm. that mental side of it. I can write about it. I can speak about it. But at the end of the day, you're the one that's got to step up and become in this other place. Mm-hmm. So, and, and so the, the Kabuki squat face, so it's a form of Kabuki. It's a form of theater and they put a mask on and they go out and, you know, do a play as enough, something other than themselves. But we also have this history in nearly every, you know, society of like going to battle, this ritual of like face paint, even in sports today, we kind of do the same thing, right? It's this, it's this hype up. It's this, why is it? Because it's like, you know, if you're going to battle, it's to, it's because you're trying to protect your village, your community, whatever it is, your family, your, 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 your children, your friends, and you've got to go do things that you wouldn't normally do. You have to become another person during that time. And then you got to come back to reality. Mm-hmm. You also get these Jimbos running around going, it's, uh, you know, that's war. I'm doing it. You're like, no, dude, you're training for a show. It's right. okay. Like when you're in the gym or you're on the platform, yeah, you need to be that warrior mentality. Mm-hmm. And you need to talk yourself into that, you know and or whatever it is visualization whatever it takes to get you into that state mm-hmm. but then once it's over you're back with the rest of us right uh, so i like to add that other piece because there's some people that just carry like, no no we're just lifting weights man like i'm so it, oh, at the God. end of the day we're just lifting weights like i'm so but, and it could be like the most important thing in your life in that moment it, it is so it's uh that's why it's that's why it's the mask you're putting it on hmm. and you're becoming so when i walk up to that bar i'm i'm powerful i can accomplish anything i you know like i, I really don't want to say what i say to myself but like because it doesn't really matter whatever it takes for you to get into that space right and then when it's over it's over laugh a little <laughs> right you know you know get back to that other state right and uh so it's it's definitely it's definitely a, a piece of that, and that's that's huge for life. Like, yeah. hey, I I'm walking into the boardroom. I'm walking into the sales call of the century. I've got this deal I'm gonna make. I'm gonna negotiate, uh, you know, a raise with my boss. I'm gonna like, you get, you know, get yourself ready, prepared, and be in that state and live in that state. But you know, take a step back from it as well. Would you say, has that evolved over time for you? So I I won't pick too hard because sometimes people in their head, pre-squat, especially big squat, maybe they say bad words or whatever, but, uh, but, but has that evolved? I mean, meaning do the same things, does the same sort of self-talk move you today that used to, and how does that look? It it, it varies. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it changes. Like if I, if I think something isn't working, I'll, 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 I'll change it a little, vary it a little. If there's different themes, but for the most part, there's a lot of fairly consistent themes, mm-hmm. but how I get there uh, is different. And when it happens, like when you get that state, like it's crazy. Like yeah, I can feel a chill run through my body. Mm-hmm. The hairs on the back of my neck, all the way up onto my scalp, everything starts tightening and standing on end and uh, I'll get very emotional. So yeah. like watch you uh, I don't know if you can see it in the the videos we posted online yet, but when the movie comes out, you'll be able to see me as I'm getting my uh, knees wrapped for that last squat. I'm crying. Yeah, I'm crying as the, my knees are getting wrapped, not from the wrapping, right? But 
from the emotion of walking up and doing what it like. So I'm, I'm crying as I'm walking all the way up to that bar and getting under that bar. Yeah. And was that, uh, and again, don't, don't go further than you feel comfortable, but, but where, where did that emotion, what was behind that emotion? Was that, was that the intensity speaking? Was that a, a reflection of the process speaking? What, where did that come from? <laughs> it's a lot of things. So, um, and it's, it's for me, a lot of it is reflection on what I've been through in my life and that I can accomplish that I can mm -hmm. overcome. Yeah. I can overcome. I am powerful awesome, and man. I can overcome. Can I, I'll share this with you and, and I won't make you go any further, but I will say, and I, you know, you know, the name Andy Galpin. Yep. You know, Andy, he's out your way. Of course. Yeah. The, uh, um, great guy. We were talking the other day. I was, I was happy to go, um, he was one of his classes over at uh, Cal Fullerton. We were talking, I had the very special opportunity to be with a boxer before a big match uh, this January. And Andy is obviously, he's in the locker room with those guys all the time. And what you're describing actually sounds a lot like what some of those guys go through, which is, which is it's almost, it's a reevaluation. It's like a, a moment of very emotional nostalgia. You're almost coming to peace with, with this wild intensity and long process that's about to hit its pinnacle. Uh, and, yep. and they're sort of sorting through the, this logic and, the, and emotion pre-match or pre-lift in your case. Of course, you are, it's the same kind of idea, except instead of a person, it's a thousand pounds. Uh, but, but, it's, but it's a really unique and special moment for people. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. It's, yep. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, it's a special place. I'll just leave it at that. It's a special place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fair. And it's your place. And that's, and that's one of the things I think that is so special about all this. And it comes back to the idea that you talked about. There's not, you can say all you want and until you get into it, until you're experiencing it for yourself, it'll be hard to work through yeah. um, best possible process. You couldn't possibly get me to the same place as you were using the same sort of language. I'd have to experience it and, and work it out for myself. Um, I think that's amazing, man. Okay, so so let's just stay right there. You, you do this incredible one of a kind thing, and then w what do the next five minutes look like for you? How do you return? Uh, how do you take the kabuki mask off? Uh, I've never really thought uh, that much about like how to take that off because I switch so fast naturally. Yeah, and because um, I'm I'm a pretty despite uh, everybody online only seeing my intensity. Yeah. I'm a pretty laid back, chill person. Yeah. <laughs> like all the rest of the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you'll like my wife and my daughter kept running up and I'm hugging them and crying and just like uh, elated and, and, yeah. and happy. So I'm on a big high for quite a while after uh, after after a big lift. So uh, well, no one can take that thing away from you. So I hope that good feeling lasts a long time. Uh, I'll go to another emotional point, though. I, I saw that thing online of you and your car. Yeah, you think can can you give us a little bit of that? And I actually were you talking to Kelly the other day about a little bit about that. Tell us what that moment was like for you. Yeah. So again, like pretty emotional day for me as a whole, and that piece that I talked about at the beginning, like the, the number one reason why I do what I do is mm -hmm. to provide people inspiration, uh, see what show them goal setting and hope and all this sort of stuff. And I get a lot of messages, um, 
because the parts of my life story that I've shared online and things through the years, I'm used to getting people, you know, intermittently emailing me or messaging me about, you know, hey, I, I help them, you know, not commit suicide or uh, start their own business, uh, you know, or whatever it is, like, you know, get through, you know, a challenging divorce and all these sorts of things. But in the in the moments following that video, I'm not sure what it is about like the the squat video. Obviously, people have been following me for a long time. You know, there's there was thousands of comments online, and yeah. you know, so many of them were connected to that first piece, like how it was inspiring people. At the same time, I had probably 500 direct messages of just what I just talked about, like people saying, "Hey." I've been following you for a decade or two decades in some cases uh, and, and telling me the personal story about how I've impacted their life. And some of it's like very emotional, very, very powerful stuff. Um, you know, deaths, suicide, drug addiction, uh, bankruptcy, divorces, like all this sorts of stuff and how the words or something that I've done has inspired them and helped them keep moving forward. and wow, that was, that was a lot to just yeah. like take in at one moment. Uh, but the big piece for me was seeing, wow, holy crap, like people are seeing what I'm trying to do here and connecting and what I'm trying to do is reaching people. And it's, it, it, and it's, yeah. And it was just, a I, I got on to record a video of me saying thank you to everyone for that. And I ended up breaking down and, in a bubbly mess of tears during the course of the video. Uh, but uh, uh, that's, that's what that was is a thank you, but also, you know, processing just like how much like it has touched people, even though it's, you know, lifting weights or whatever, but obviously it's more than that. Cause I do a lot of other things um, uh, around, you know, promotion of kind of those thought processes of, you know, stoicism and, you know, uh, stoic philosophy and, uh, you know, the strength of mental and emotional strength and the impacts and how to actually put those into your life. I, I'll tell you, it, it inspired me. Your work inspires me. And I'm very glad that uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that so many people are uh, feel free to reach out and, and share that with you. I think you deserve to hear about that, of course. Um, and you're making me, uh, we don't have to turn this into a sappy podcast, but uh but yeah, but I will tell you that like that, that if our work, clearly yours and, and definitely ours as well, if if it ended just at numbers in the weight room, it just wouldn't be sufficient. It wouldn't no. be, we, no. it wouldn't propel anything forward. Um, the mental health aspect of all this stuff, you know, it, it goes so far if you're doing it right. Strength done well. This beyond strength concept, like you said, uh, um, stories of, of self-harm and, and potentially suicide and things like that to hear people come to us. We feel very privileged to at, at a much lower level than what you're doing uh, have gotten some of those stories as well. And I hope people real out there realize that like, you know, an, an occasional max deadlift on Instagram is cool. But if you're, if you're not being empowered by it in the right ways, um, maybe those likes weren't, uh, 
weren't enough. That, that's kind of where I'm at. And I go back and forth. I don't want to dismiss anyone's training. Of course, there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good things out there, but I hope that everyone will look hard at it, uh, at what it actually means. It, as far as I'm concerned, and, and this is uh, we're, it's, we're hosting it's a, a matter of it, training is life. So yep. training is life. That sounds like really over the top reach. I know that you get what I'm saying, yep. but this is life. Life is life is growing. Okay. Life is growth. And right. how do we grow? And well, you know, you, we can look at any bit of research around it and it shows the only way that we grow as humans mm -hmm. is by adapting to stress. Okay. And yeah. it, that is it. We adapt to stress. If the stresses are too much, we'll never recover and we'll continue a decline. Yeah. Right. So this is, you know, somebody has been through some horrific challenges and now they got mental health and they're homeless. It was just too much, right? Or whatever has led them down that path. Um, but when I say strength, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, of course, you know, do some more curls, biceps are gonna get stronger. Right. Adapt to stress. This is well beyond that. This is mm -hmm. also mental, emotional, or spiritual strength are the same things. So yes. if we do not challenge ourselves mentally, we will get soft. Yes. It's the same process that happens. Dude, it, and yeah. So what happens if we don't train? We begin to atrophy. This is the process leading towards death. Mm -hmm. So do we want to do the same thing? So as humans, we try to find comfort. We try to seek. Our life is in this constant chase for it. Never accept it. Hmm. Never live there because that is the start of the process of death. Right. I'm like, I'm not overreaching here. This is no, you're not. These are scientific principles like of, adapted, of adaptation, right? It's the and said principle, of, but applied to both body and mind and everything. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I, I use this analogy sometimes like you could have been a war hero 40 years ago. And a lot of stuff could happen and you didn't challenge yourself. You didn't get there. And next thing you know, it's 40 years later and there's a burning car with a kid in it and you're not that hero anymore. Hmm. You got soft. Hmm. Like, so I call like, I call it this practice of like living in fear, hmm. like to chase, to always find things that scare you a little bit and step right. into it, step into it. If you've got boss walks into the room, you know, with, you know, a meeting and says, Hey, we've got this big project and it's scary. And he goes, anybody want to step up to it? And you're like, I'll hide in the back. Cause I don't want that one. I'm scared of that. Yeah. Maybe that means that you need to go raise your hand and go, I'd like to take that one on. I'm a little scared of it, but I think I can pull it off. No doubt. Uh, and if it's starting that new business on the side that you've wanted, if it's going back to school to get that bachelor's degree that you but you were always kind of scared because I didn't do good in school or guess what? That's your signal. That's yep. your signal to take it and chase it. Grab that by the horns and go after it. If it gives you that feeling, that little twist and turn in your gut, mm. that, that mixture of anxiety, fear, and excitement. Yep. That's money for you. What does that mean? It means it's going to provide you the opportunity for growth. That's right. And I think you're totally right. And I think what, what some people, some people will identify with that immediately. And I think the hard part for a lot of people, as I've come to understand is identifying what their top end threshold is. 
you know, like recognizing you said it's the perfect balance of, of, of challenge and ability. And then what I hope people will recognize exactly what you're saying. Once you step into it at that level, you can raise your top end threshold. If you constantly undercut that the level of challenge with your ability, it's, your yeah. threshold comes down and the fear comes faster. So if you avoid fear, if you avoid stress, yeah. you're actually inviting it in you, a way that you didn't. You ever it. see that person that has something uh, you know, this bad happened, a loved one die, uh, an accident that, you know, takes a limb, it, 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 something catastrophic happen, happens and you yeah. see some people step up right? and they chase after it. You see some people lock down so hard mm -hmm. that they can't function. They can't process. They can't like, they need help to like, cause they can't, they can't manage anymore. They lock down so hard because they don't have the ability to, to respond to that stress. And that totally. is not where we want to be. Right? It is not where we want to be. I want to say for those who like, just to pay respect, trauma is a real thing. And, and yeah. that avoidance. I'm not, not, totally. not discrediting that. I, I know means. you're not at all. Yeah. And, but that's why this is kind of a, th th that's such an important discussion is because although once one has gone through something traumatic, the, the, the instinct to pull back is a very natural one and you shouldn't be ashamed of that. But the recognition should, should be ultimately, probably for some people on the extremes of that curve with therapeutic support, it should ultimately be we've got to find a way to lean into this constantly. And there's, no, and there's no stigma, even like people, some totally. people misinterpret what I'm saying. saying oh, I'm, I'm a tough guy. I can overcome everything. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. I was seeing a psychologist a couple of years ago when I was really struggling with some depression issues. Yeah. Um, you know, I, these are like, these are serious things. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not about being tough and hiding hiding this stuff and not dealing with it by any means. Right. So please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah I hope um, all I'm saying point. is you find challenge and you find those things that scare you a little bit. Yeah. Run after them and Go get them. yeah, right. I'm creating some, but, uh, you mind if I dive into the book a little bit? Get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Please do. So it's easiest if I talk about my tattoos, so I, I got two tattoos. Great, great starting place. I got two tattoos. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you about them. Each one is about 40 hours. Uh, pretty big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first one is I got two eagles. The one's on my stomach running across my abdomen and the other one's across my back. Mm. And each eagle is got is chained. They're trying to take flight and the chain runs all the way down my leg and it's, they're shackled to my ankle. And I had this tattoo done when I was late teens, early 20s. And what it meant to me and what it still means to me is that you can fly to whatever heights that you want. The only thing holding you back at the end of the day is yourself. Hmm. And so it's really about identity, owning one's own identity and owning one's control of what you put out. You're, you're not a product Obviously, your environment's going to have an impact on you, but it's not the definition of oneself. You're defined by your actions and your responses mm -hmm. to that environment, not by it itself. And that's important to, to, to articulate because we see a lot of people, especially in this kind of victimhoodization society, which I don't think is good. Mm -hmm. When you ask them who they are, they will tell you 
your sob story, their, 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 their story of, I'm this way because my parents were alcoholics. I'm this way because I'm the guy with a bad back and I'm never, I'm always going to be in pain and never be able to do physical nature. I'm, I'm this, I can keep going, but yeah. And, and, and that's not who you are. Those are things you have to deal with, but right. you're defined by your responses to those things, by how you live. And so the reason I had that done, so is it was really a definition of kind of my life at that point up to my early twenties. So I grew up homeless in the mountains in Northern California. And Which, where, where at? Uh, <laughs> North of San Francisco, so Humboldt uh, area. What's that? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. uh, so, a good portion was uh, just east of Humboldt County. So, actually, okay. in the Trinity Wilderness, where most of the weed growing was actually happening. Sure. Um, but is really deep and hard to access. Hmm. And I'll kind of get into that here a little bit. Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it's like living completely off the grid. You know, in the mountains, intense in condemned shacks or, uh, you know, homes that are no longer occupied, don't have anything in them, you know, going down to a stream with a gallon jug, filling it up and setting it on a rock through the sun through the day. So you can pour it over your head and bathe, mm. uh, knowing what kind of mushrooms that you can pick, poaching deer, fishing, doing all this to put food on the table. That's the type of poor that I, grew up in like clothes falling off of you you know your toes sticking out the side of the shoes getting laughed at pretty uh pretty you know pretty bad at school um but that is when you're living in that type of environment you also meet a lot of unsavory people mm. because other people trying to escape from society usually there's some reasons so right yeah i we dealt with murderers obviously a lot of drug abuse within the family uh friends all that um drug running uh, there was a serial killer uh that we had to deal with that stalked my mother for a while oh, um and uh the state took us kids uh, for, for, for a while as well completely separated all family members i got three younger sisters and a younger brother and and we ended up picking up and uh after my parents got me back got us back from the state ended up in uh oregon and eastern oregon out in the the you know again and we ended up kind of falling back into the same track but this time uh legally my parents were growing weed for a living before that's what my mom wanted my mom was highly intelligent uh, well, actually, all my 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 father, stepfather were as well. My dad was a member of Mensa, and my mom had a, you know, scholarship to be a biochemist, and she just didn't want to be part of society. And there's reasons behind that. And that's kind of touched on in the book. Sure. Uh, but authority and things of those nature did not fit well with her, and she was trying to create a life outside of society, and uh, that's where she still lives today, actually, and. Uh, <clears throat> And so that's why we lived where we were. So we were well read. We, you know, make a trip to the, to the, you know, every few weeks or once a month to the library and fill up with every book that we could get. And we'd be reading by flashlight and candlelight like every evening. And 
And that's just uh, that's just how we lived. And Oregon, we ended up kind of falling back into the same track, uh, but uh, this time not doing, my mom wasn't gonna risk uh, losing the kids again. Um, although I did find out recently, she actually tried to give us up for a state at one point. That's when uh, we were living in the mountains, there's a couple feet of snow and I'm sleeping in the back of the pickup truck, uh, freezing every freaking night. I couldn't sleep, it was so cold. Mm. Um, but it was it was a challenging upbringing. And there's a lot of stuff that I've seen during the course of that. Most people would not, uh, will never see in the course of their life. Hmm. Uh, you know, going behind the grocery store and sorting through food and peeling off the top letters of the le- lettuce from, from the dump from the bin so you can take it to, to eat. Um, and in high school, things kind of calmed a little bit. My stepfather won a disability suit and they were able to put a down payment on a, uh, on a mobile home. And it sounds nice. I mean, it's, but it's, you know, there's no doors inside the house. (laughs) The wind blows straight through the windows. Mm. Uh, We had to throw together some two by fours to mount a sink to, so they didn't have a kitchen. Mm. And, but it was something, it was stable. It was, we had electricity, we had running water. And so Mm. it was great. And that's where I lived during high school. Did really well academically and uh, in athletics. Uh, as well. So as a state level wrestler, I was valedictorian at my high school. Um, and so, but a lot of people didn't really know the environment that I was living in. Yeah. And I was working in the evenings and on weekends to help uh, put money on the table for the family so we could eat. And when I, uh, so I got a, I got a full ride scholarship to go to school uh, for engineering. And that's, I I didn't call home for a year or two because I'd have to, anytime I call home, I'd have to give money uh, to support. And I'm like trying to get my own thing, you know, my own life moving. And uh, things got worse, really bad at home while I was gone. And so before I graduated with uh, my undergrad, I ended up taking custody, started taking custody of uh, my three sisters one at a time. And they were all teenagers. I ended up raising all of them. While I finished my engineering degrees, got my MBA, and was uh, chasing uh, chasing my career, and so I raised all of them through their teenage years into uh, into adulthood. Uh, got my MBA and ended up working myself up uh, through the executive world. So anyway, when I was raising my sisters is when I had the tattoos done, mm. and so I think that kind of strikes home now, like the. You can accomplish whatever you want, like as long as you understand, like don't let yourself fall into that pity party and, you know, just doing the step one thing in front of the other. And, and I know what it's like. I know what tough times are like. There's a lot of things in there that I'm not going to dive into in this podcast or things that I didn't even dive into into the book. Um, but uh, a lot of tragedy, a lot of sadness. And I, uh, advanced myself in my, my career pretty rapidly. So I ended up uh, within a number of years um, becoming a, an, a, a corporate executive. So I was, I was hired, I was sought after in our area to kind of come in and turn around companies. 
or take and grow something or a division of company or grow it from an, to a, a, a from a regional to a national or international presence. Um, the biggest one I did is I turned around uh, an aerospace company that was failing and took them to uh, the number one supplier in the world for Boeing for quality and delivery from a failing level. That's 28,000 suppliers, by the way. Wow. Um, and uh, prepped them for sale and got them sold successfully and saved everybody in the company's job. Um, yeah. So that was a good thing. But yeah, yeah. I worked, uh, did that sort of stuff in the automotive and, uh, and uh, automotive high tech and uh, aerospace world wow. uh, for a number of years. And so it was quite successful. Same time, I owned a gym on the side. And I was training people and coaching and doing all that because that's kind of my outlet. But it was really about like having a great facility that I could try to become world class. And so had the gym, had that. I was married, had two kids. And I started reflecting on my life again. And I had that. Everything like was all about proving that I could be a successful member of this society. I could be normal. And uh, had was living in a house with a white picket fence and had done all those sorts of things. And I went, wow, I've got the American dream. But like, is it, is it my dream? Mm. Is it my dream? And I started thinking about it more and I, I, decided to make some very drastic changes in my life. And that's when the second tattoo was done. And this is the Ouroboros. So there's a giant dragon head on my chest and it wraps around my, my shoulders, my arms, and comes all the way back around with the tail sitting in its mouth across my sternum. And the, the dragon is devouring itself. That's what the Ouroboros is. And it sounds like a little morbid, a little grim, but it's not, it, it is, it's, it's that said principle again. It's the adaptation of becoming new. So the dragon is devouring itself to become new, become a newer version of itself. Hmm. So the second half of my book is more about, it's not right. The first half is realizing, it, it, it's realizing your potential, finding your strengths overcoming challenging finding identity and let me say right now this book is not just like storyline every chapter is focused on a theme that it's presenting to you and then how you put this into place in your life mm. so and not telling you how to live your life but leading you to ask the questions to help you find the answers to get there and so that's why it's done really well as self-help and psychology and these other. But sure. I'm also very specific about not telling you what your values are or what your goals should be, but guiding you in the process to find those things. So the second half of the book is about purposeful reinvention. That's specifically. So this is more. The other is finding things. This is deciding who do you want to be in this world? Hmm. And actively becoming that person. So, and a big piece of this is really understanding what values in your life drive you. What are the things that you want to live? And a lot of people love to jump to goal setting. And goal setting cannot effectively be done unless you really spend, and this is a hard process, peeling back those layers to understand why 
why? Why? Repeating this on purpose, uh, because you gotta keep asking yourself every time you got an answer again, why do I want the things that I want in my life? Because there's a reason that you want, and it's really understanding those underlining pieces of that. For me, you know, I've got like seven like main values that I want to live by. Like I need crazy challenges and things in front of me to chase. I love that sense of overcoming obstacles and insurmountable challenges. I need to have challenge. Yeah. Okay. Saw that in career and like lifting, all those sorts of things. Creativity, the creative outlook. That's why I build vehicles and all these, you know, the equipment and all this other stuff. But I had a pretty minimal impact on creativity in my life and the way I wanted to see that, it, 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 what I was, how I was living. Security. Security kind of runs at odds of uh, accomplishment and challenge a little bit. Sure. Uh, but, you know, given my upbringing, security is like a core cornerstone of like things that I want. I, I need to have some, I can't, I can't completely live on the edge, but I got to be close to it because again, these values uh, bounce against each other a little bit. That's right. Anyway, those are a few different examples of like values. They're not things. Yeah. Right. Okay. And oftentimes when you people are like, what do you want? Oh, I want a fancy car and a, and a mansion and I want this job. Why? Why do you want those things? And so I, I made drastic changes in my life. And this is when I founded Kabuki Strength and started moving forward with my life. This is when I retired from powerlifting hmm. and, uh, and started doing exhibition lifting, which is what I've been doing the last like four or five years. It's when I left my wife and uh, ended up getting remarried. It's hmm. when I, and, and we hear this from entrepreneurs a lot, like surrounding yourself with the right people and you know, cutting out people that are negative. But with the big piece of that conversation, this, you need to do that. Not just negative, but negative is wrong because you can have great people in your life that are negative about or critical about ideas or decisions, but for your best interest. But the people that are toxically just right. down about everything don't want to see success, but though there's a differentiation there. Do not totally. surround yourself with yes men. Right. But also there's a certain there's certain people that are just they're never going to be, you're going to feed them energy mm -hmm. and they're going to consume energy and never give it back. Huh? And that's where you want to, because what you want to do is relationships are what drive everything in your life. Everything, your business, your family, the, everything that you do is driven through relationships. So the power is in cutting certain people from your life is because you want to take more energy and invest it in the people that you care about. And also people that are going to give back and help facilitate what you want as well. So it's really being like, if, if relationships are so powerful, you need to put everything into that. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and so we've got to conserve. You can't, just have everything going out everywhere. So it's really right. about making sure those decisions are so that you can actually invest in the people that you love, in the people that you care about, in your employees, in your in your network, right? And so, yeah, I ended up making a huge amount of changes because what I saw is I had a vision 
and a platform and the knowledge mm -hmm. to take and help coach and help teach people these lessons about living better through strength. The ability to take people out of pain, even via video or something written that they found, you know, they haven't been able to lift for six months or a year. They're in back pain. It's affecting their life. And like that, be able to yeah. remove that and get them back and get them successful. And so that's what I loved about my career before was the coaching and mentoring people. It wasn't the airplane parts or car parts or get you know, circuit boards or anything like that. Right. It was getting people to accomplish something more in their life than they thought they could. Yeah. And that's well, how I drove cultural change. That's how I drove the performance changes in the business was focusing on the people. And once you do that, once you get people like accomplishing something like that, invested in something, they're going to start having an impact through their, all their work and mm -hmm. their, all their life in being more engaged, right? So I had that, but I felt I had a lot more to give and a lot more work to do. Uh, and so that's why I walked away from an incredibly secure and well-paying career to right. put everything in my life that I've worked on for the last, you know, 20 plus years on the line. Yeah. Uh, so that I could try to have this greater impact. So my goal right now is to change the face of what we see as strength training in the world today. And, uh, and I'm starting to work that path and people will real in a few more years will realize just a little bit more of how that's going to happen. Um, with, uh, with the work and future development of, uh, tools and things that we have uh, yet to bring, uh, bring to market. So, so those are the, those are the two pieces. And so the book is, like I said, it's, there's hardly any lifting in it, which is like surprising right. to some people when they get it. Cause they're like, Oh, it's Chris Duffin. He wrote a book. He's a lifter. Like, yeah. uh, Lifting is one way that I can express my values, right? But there's a lot of other ways that I can also express those. So there's much more uh, to that. And I wish uh, people could sometimes realize that they get so wrapped up in one thing is that it's really just an expression, a way that you're expressing some of the values that you have in life. And you can, once you know that, mm. now you can figure out alternative ways or alternative goals that will net you that a life they can realize those same things because at the end of the day, yeah. lifting can, can be taken away from you at any time. Right. And we see totally. this like with sports stars, right? Or, you know, people, their whole identity is wrapped up into it and then it's over. It's like, wow, who am I? What am I going to do? What, oh, what happens with suicide rates in those populations and uh, health and all these other things? Dude. They're, they're pretty remarkably bad. And no because they've never really realized or walked through that process. And that's what I'm trying to get people to do. And so I use my stories just to articulate these philosophies and ask these questions to dive for you to dive deep. That's what the book is. It's actually the secondary piece. I just have a pretty crazy story to tell along with it. Right. Um, so, <laughs> well, look, uh, I'm also, excited. That, that's how I got there is I, I've, I've had my life's not worse than anybody else's or was, you know, but it's I've had a scope within yeah. my life that most people have never seen. That's uh, fair. And so that combined with a lot of self-reflection during the course of that has helped me create these, uh, 
you know, really come to these philosophy points that have allowed me to see great success in not just one area, but many areas within my life. And that, business, and athletics, totally. entrepreneurship, basically anything that I've set my hands on, yeah. I've been able to take it to a high level of success by employing these things that are in there. Well, yeah, no doubt, man. And, and, and you're nailing it. What, that's a, a real cornerstone of our practice is exactly what you're talking about. It's transfer. If, if, if what you're learning is not transferable, if it doesn't go to the other areas of one's life, then it, uh, it either dies or it, or it sort of rots in a trunk of nostalgia. And I think not being able to do that, you're, you're exactly right. The post-career, one thing that we're working hard on now I don't want to, we don't have much time left in the pocket, so I don't want to, I feel like we could talk for days here, but the, uh, it is considering the post-career athlete and the psychology of the post-career athlete. Like, like what happens when you are no yeah. longer, you know, we, we cannot unbraid the post-career athlete, like you said, suicide rate. Um, we, we cannot take, we, we can't even consider the discussion unless we consider that very real fact that for a yeah. certain part of, of this person's life, they were so uh, singular in their, in their outcomes. You know, they, they were so driven to this one very clear thing. If no one helps them take the Kabuki mask off and, and return to the real world, uh, then, then you can be in, in real, real psychological trouble. And I'll actually use that. I want to toss an idea your way. Tell me what you think about it. We are, um, so we're hosting an online powerlifting meet. And here's the logic of it. Uh, you're, of course, invited to compete, by the way, if, if you want to just blow the field away. Uh, uh, I, I don't compete anymore. You're retired. So you're retired. I don't, yeah, exactly. The, I don't compete anymore. But uh, we, we did it because we were like, just like you said, we, we, we saw in this situation, in this global pandemic that we are currently in, and the regulations that came immediately thereafter, um, we, we saw hundreds of thousands of athletic careers uh, abruptly halted. In, in a way that was necessary, you know, I, I, like I believe the CDC, okay, fine, we've got to take some steps and in, in, in whatever, but it doesn't make that idea any less frustrating and difficult for athletes. Yep. Um, so that's, that's how we came up with that idea. We, we were like, we can't let, we're trying to combat three things right now, hopelessness, isolation, and sedentary behavior. And, and, and the fear would be that someone goes from that abrupt end to a career right into a, oh, sh what do I have to look forward to now? There was no uh, weaning off of an athletic career for a lot of the seniors out there. Just boom, stopped. Uh, didn't even get to say goodbye to their teammates in some cases. So it, 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 it's very real. And I think we're looking at it right now. I wonder not to get us, I'm, not to get us too far off topic. I guess it is topic, but like, I wonder what the, the mental health ramifications of, of this moment in time will be. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. Cause we need all those aspects of our life. We need to have this physical outlet as well. Yeah. And that's why I was so powerful about like, you know, my background with being able to get people out of pain and rehabilitation, prehab, totally. all this sort of stuff that I wanted to get out there because I saw so much going wrong in the world mm -hmm. in the train in training that was hurting people right. and actually having a, a negative impact on people's life. But once you found that, like, wow, this, this being the physical culture, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And you found like the impact that it also, cause it feeds into your emotional well-being, no your doubt. mental well-being, like all, they, they're, they're all connected. Mm -hmm. And then once you know that and you feel it, and that's a big miss in the world today is how many people haven't found that yet. And that's right. If we can get into mental health <laughs> uh, as it relates to not being physically active, but uh, 
and then that's yanked away from people. Yeah, right, right. That like that's why the injuries like really people really struggle with them when they can't train for you know three months, six months, or things like that. Like it starts really messing with these people. People get really depressed. No doubt. Um, and it, they don't even have to be a successful like uh, or high level athlete in any right. any discipline to actually have that like really have a very big negative impact on people's life. Totally. I think people, you're right. You don't have to be an elite caliber no. athlete for this to matter. It, it is one thing that is so amazing to me. And, and, and I work primarily in education, some business, mostly education, 90%. And it's amazing to me to think that people don't recognize what I see is for, and, and probably you do as the most obvious truth out there. And that is that we are all embodied. If you start to not yeah. recognize the physical self of the people in your place, students, employees, what have you, uh, you you're going to fight a very real uphill battle. Yeah. And how do we not, I mean, even go back, this was like cornerstone of some of uh, Socrates philosophy as well. Yep. Yes. <laughs> like people miss that. Like it's yeah. like, it's a long yeah. time, you know, people have recognized that this stuff's all interconnected and you need yeah. to be, you have to express yourself physically to really be a full person and have that connection in all those aspects. You have and it doesn't to. mean lifting weights. I, that's why I'm using the word. That's physical, right. That's your physical that's culture. Your I don't right. go for a swim, go, do a speed walk. Like I don't, I, I, I don't care. Anything. Um, but it's some expression of physical culture. Yeah. I think, I think getting to know oneself physically in that way is, is should be happening, running parallel to the same sort of psychological examination that we've been talking about. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, and that's something I, I, I speak to a lot is that, that challenge when you're, when you're physically challenging yourself, mm -hmm. you know, like who you are, like mm -hmm. in that moment is in the fact, like, am I giving it my all? Am I giving it what I'm supposed to be? Right. And this is, this is something that, uh, you know, go back to that war hero, you know, or, you know, uh, discussion, but am I really pushing and discovering my limitation as a human being when you're in there and you're like, Hey, I want to do an AMRAP set. Nobody knows. Hmm. Yeah. Nobody knows. Good, yeah. Nobody knows whether you gave it your all except right. for you, except for you. Yeah. In that moment, do I have, do I have what it takes? Do, can I push myself to those limits? Am I strong mentally, not just physically to right. be able to push myself that little extra bit? And uh, that's the reality of the moment of the workout. And obviously yeah. not every workout should be taken to that level. But sure. That's, <laughs> but that's the point. Like if I'm doing a wad, did I really put everything that I had into it? Right, right, right. The secret answer is no, you never did. Uh, because you could, that's the beauty of it. There's always a little bit more. 100%. How much more was it? And, that, and, and, and that's the reality of like it's knowing, so knowing oneself. Knowing oneself in the moment, and that's what I love about physical culture is there's no other time that you get to experience and test yourself. So you want to talk about pushing that threshold further mm -hmm. and a tool for doing that? There's one right there. Right. Totally. That's and you could, you, like I said, you could lie to the world. Nobody's going to know. No like, one would know. know. Right. You know right. deep down. Yeah. You, you, you keep touching on things that are so like at the core of what we're about. So we say self-awareness, purpose 
and, and self-management. Those, those are kind of the three things that are, that are essential. Self-awareness, purpose, self-management. One is usually not happening independent of, of the other. We, we use a, a term in the weight room all the time, especially because we work with a lot of youth and developing athletes. Appropriate, we call it the appropriate load theory. And, and it's like, just based on what you said, look, I could say 80%. Uh, you know, I could, I could write down 80% or we could find this out together and sort of you identify what the appropriate load for a set of eight is for you in this moment today, considering the context of your life and, and wherever your head's at and all, all these different things. Yep. That's an examination. That's self-awareness. That's real self-awareness. So I, I think those are great tests. You, you, you also, I have to bring up one more story. So I, I, I played football for a long time. I only think I pushed myself to the max, to your point, one time. And I ended up in the hospital, you know, and, and, and I, and I tell that to the, the guys I coach, I'm like, I was literally being pushed around a wheelchair with an IV in my arm. Uh, and, and I don't, and I'm not, I don't mean to glamorize that. I don't mean to glorify that. I just recognize that every other game I played, I just walked to the car and drove home or whatever it might've been. So, you know, it, it is this, uh, you know, you don't have to go, you don't have to be laid out on the floor after every workout. But like you said, if it's an AMRAP, if it's a full test of you, you really are the only one who, who, yep. can, who can answer if you did it correctly or not, or went all the way. That's interesting, man. Did I push everything into it as far as just effort and speed? Did I push as hard as I could have on nailing my technique? Did I, you know, these are, yep. you can go beyond just load and F and, uh, you know, repetition as well. Yeah. No doubt. Um, all right. Well, here's where we're at with this. Number one, we're going to have to wrap up the podcast, but can I tell you that I am just really enjoying hearing you talk, man. You, you have a, an open invite um, whenever the next book comes out, if that's on your, on your uh, list of things to do, accomplishments to nail. You, of course, dude, you got an open invite. I am, I'll tell you that uh, Alex and I, I know we both agree on this. Uh, we are, we're, we're two of those people who are inspired by you. So, so I really do appreciate everything you do including uh, taking the time to share some of your wisdom with us today. I appreciate it. It's been a really great discussion, man. I, uh, I, I've really loved uh, the, the, the avenues that we've gone down today. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T dot com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.